couple of really uh, quick announcements yet before we dive in. We want to, he's not with us because he's doing something super important, but his mother is here. Joshua Peterson, Janet's 19-year-old, 18-year-old, I guess. This morning played for the U19 Soccer National Championships and won. That's awesome. Super excited. Super, I've, I have uh, been living vicariously through the text updates all weekend, and we're just super excited for Joshua. Um, what a great opportunity for him. Also, uh, Elias and Paige are starting a small group. Wave over there. And, and, uh, and so if you are interested in that, there's still landing days and stuff. Jump in. Uh, you know, what, when? Next Thursday, okay, you should have jumped in last week if you wanted on Wednesday, because it's landed on Thursday. That'll teach you to respond. And also, you guys have some, like, family news. Yay! We got another one. So, expecting a little one. We're excited about that. Remember, Randy, great name, can go either way. Boy, girl, works. Been making that joke for years. So far, a number of people have taken me up on it. Goose egg. You could be the first. That could maybe be your destiny. I don't know. If you're looking for sermon notes and some kind of hope that this may end at some point, um, there's QR code there. Uh, if you look at that and it looks like a long, I've written myself several off-ramps during the sermon. Sometimes I miss them, but they're there. They should give you some element of peace. Okay. 1973, we are opening Christmas gifts at the Bolander House. On Christmas Eve, because my father cannot bear the idea of a child wanting a present and not getting it. So we always open on Christmas Eve. We don't open on Christmas Day. And we're opening presents on Christmas Eve, and I open the first present, and it is a Johnny West action figure. Do you remember Johnny West? Johnny West is yeah, everybody in a very niche. They only made him for a few years. Uh, Johnny West was kind of a combination of uh, G.I. Joe and the TV show Bonanza. You know, it was kind of that Western theme thing. And I've got Johnny, and I also got a horse that he rode on that had a flexible neck, which was like the high-end horse. They had several horses. This one had a flexible neck. And I played with that thing eight days a week. I loved Johnny. And then uh, later on, I don't think I got it at the same time, but I also got his compatriot, who was General George Custer, in kind of a neon blue. Um, he's not as politically correct as he was then. Uh, but G General George Custer came with another horse, a Palomino horse, that did not have a flexible neck. And uh, experts say that that is why he lost the Battle of Little Bighorn, because his horse was not able to drink. So that's, I don't know that that's factual, but that's the story I tell. How many of you remember a gift you got when you were a kid? Like, it's burned into your brain. Okay, I want, to, I want you, a couple of you to shout these out. If you're 18 or under, 18 years old or under, yell out a gift you got as a kid that you'll always remember. Hoverboard. A hoverboard. Cool. All right, anybody 18 else? 18 or under? What? I can't hear you in the back. 3D printer. Ooh, that's good to know. Child has 3D printer. Okay, thank you. I'm just making a note. Okay, let's say a shift a little bit. Age, say, 18 to 40. Get, get, tell me something you got that you remember. You got it as a kid, though, not like last year. 
Oh, hold on. A CD player? Good. What was the first CD you bought? Metallica. Metallica. <laughs> We're in that church. Okay. Okay, what? What? A ukulele. Okay, all right. It had a little Hawaiian flavor on it when you said it, and I, I lost it. Okay, ukulele. Anybody else? 18 to 40. Come on. What? I, I, I can't hear down here. Okay. Okay, let's say 40 and up. Anybody got You got it as a kid, though. You remember this. Birthstone ring. What? Boombox? Transistor radio? Tonka truck. Barbie. Wow, you guys like... What? A kitten. Barry Manilow album. At the Copa, Copa Cabana. No, we're not doing that. Okay. Some of you are mortified. You were happier with the Metallica reference than the... I was happier with the Metallica reference than Barry Manilow. That's... He's, he's, yeah, okay. So you're probably incredibly grateful for the gifts you got as a kid. Some of you are, you know, beyond 40. You still remember these things pretty well. Some of you still wish you had them. I discovered that Johnny West, in good conditions, worth about 80 bucks on eBay right now. Kind of wished I had some of those things. And I looked at those gifts that I got as a kid, and you did too, with great fondness and great appreciation, but you know that your parents did other stuff. You realized, even as a kid, they did more than give gifts. My parents were incredibly kind, were incredibly faithful. And as I grew older, those were the things I wanted to emulate, was their character, not so much just their gifts. Some believers never move beyond fascination with the gifts of the Spirit. Okay, that's what... That's where they focus. But they forget that even in the Bible, there were people who were given gifts and operated in the power of the Spirit, but were morally bankrupt, and it cost them everything. We read of Samson, who seemed to have had unlimited physical strength when the Holy Spirit would come upon him, but he had almost no inner strength or no character when he was confronted with lust. So this epic character, full of the strength of the Spirit, could not manifest inward character to save his life. And in the end, it actually costs him his life. Because we read the story in Judges 16.30. Here he is now. He is, his eyes are gouged out. He's treated like a, a circus clown. He's paraded around by his captors. And he says, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all of his strength and the house fell on the Lord. As he presses these pillars apart, the house falls on him, and all the people in it were dead, and the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed during his life, but it cost him his entire life. What might have made the difference in Samson had he had inward character? He might have been a judge over Israel for decades. He had giftings, but he didn't have character. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts but it is far from the full extent of what the Holy Spirit wants to manifest in our lives. And to fixate on the gifts at the expense of the other activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives is not to go deep. It's to be childish. We've spent the last few weeks in a series talking about the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
And people get excited when you talk about the gifts of the Spirit. And they're worth getting excited about. I, want, I don't want to cast shade on them. But there is another aspect to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It is proof of spiritual development and maturity in your life. And it generates far less excitement than the gifts of the Spirit do. What this aspect lacks in raw appeal, it makes up with the practical aspect of reflecting the character of God in your own life. These are not the gifts of the Spirit. They are the fruit of the Spirit, where the character of Jesus begins to be seen through your actions and your responses and your words. It really matters. Probably matters more than anything in family. Let me, let me say what is obvious, but we all need to have said to us, your family doesn't give a flip about you operating in the gifts of the Spirit if you don't have the fruit of the Spirit. They don't care, okay? It just, it doesn't matter. Now, as a church, we've got, you kind of have to declare this, because it used to be easy to see in 40 years ago, but with a melding of cultures, you don't see that much. We have more charismatic roots, all right? Historically, the charismatic church has focused on the gifts of the Spirit, hasn't thought a whole lot about fruit of the Spirit. Just haven't thought about it. Big on Sunday, not so big on, you know, we just haven't thought about it. We're not against it. We just haven't thought about it. The evangelical church has focused on the fruit of the Spirit, the systemic teaching of the Scripture and the developing of the character, hasn't thought too much about the gifts of the Spirit. So we have seen things like people healed and moral failure. And they have seen long lives of character, but almost none of the supernatural. Who told us we had to declare a major? Like what part of the scripture do we read that says you got to pick between these two? Gifts are demonstration of the Spirit's power in our life, and they are given freely, and they are given to us to accomplish the things the Lord wants to do. Fruit is proof of process. It is the dividends of discipline in our lives. They demonstrate our walk with God and they are witnessed by others. And we're never forced to choose. We don't have to pick between these two. Now, if you have kids, you know there are times when you have to make up rules that you just did not see you having to make. Right? Like, didn't know I need to make a rule for that. Don't you know, paint your brother's hair. I mean, there's always there's things you have to make up. I, how many, some of you as parents have discovered you've had to say shut the door 25 times a day since school got out. How many times do you have to say shut the door? The book of Galatians is where Paul finds himself having to say things that seem pretty normal, but he, he's got to say them. Galatians is a little bit unique. If you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians. It's going to be in there mostly. We'll, we'll jump around. We'll be there. It's a little unique in that we can pinpoint when it was written with remarkable accuracy. Like, it's phenomenal. And the way we do that is in context to what it says and what is happening in the book of Acts. We never think about some of these books all happening at the same time, do we? I mean, we know Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, okay, those are all the same stories, that all kind of happens at the same time, but we have an idea that you look at the New Testament, that just kind of, it must be chronological, ends with Revelation, makes sense to me. No. The book of Galatians is written in context to the book of Acts. It's written early in Paul's ministry life. 
This is how we know. Because for the bulk of the book of Galatians, what he is teaching about there is how the Greeks will fit into what has been a very Jewish-cultured Christianity. He talks a lot about that. Galatians 5, I'm not going to read all of this, but 1 through 6 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. You can read the whole passage later. But what he's teaching them there about is how we're going to allow the Greeks to have some freedom in context to this religion that is really formed around uh, the Jewish way of thinking. And say, how does that place it in time? Because of the context in the book of Acts, at Acts 15, Paul, Barnabas, and other apostles gather in Jerusalem for what becomes known as the Council of Jerusalem. And they make a group decision there and a group announcement about how the Greeks fit in with the Jewish culture. Acts 15, 10, and 11, Peter is speaking, and he said, Therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither the fathers nor we have been able to bear. He said, you're putting a load on these Greek believers, but let's just be honest, us Jewish believers have never been able to live up to. So if the Jerusalem council was the definitive word on how the Greeks fit in with the Jewish culture, why didn't Paul, when he's writing Galatians, just say, hey, we told you in Jerusalem? It's because the book of Galatians is written before Acts 15. Think of the book of Galatians as the leaked legal brief from the Supreme Court that came out before the definitive word came out. That's what he's saying. So we can put it in this context, say, Randy, why did you kind of took a left there and talking about the Greeks and fitting in with the Jews? How does that all work? I'm saying all that to say Galatians was written 15 years after the crucifixion and resurrection. It's written right smack dab in the middle of the book of Acts. So they're seeing people healed and delivered, and they're seeing miracles. And in the middle of all of this, demons being cast out, people are being healed, mass outpourings of the Holy Spirit. Galatians is not written to a dry church. It is written to a place where they're encountering revival. And in this global expansion of the gospel, the focus on the power of the Holy Spirit Paul had to sit and write about something that went right alongside with spiritual gifts. He writes about the fruit of the Spirit. He writes about character. He writes about a dramatic contrast in behavior. Things you would not expect you would have to say in the middle of this worldwide outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And he goes, no, I did not anticipate having to make this rule, but I have to lay these things down. Because I'm already beginning to see people encounter the power of the Spirit and they are neglecting the character-building aspect of it. So he lays out a contrast in Revelations, or Revelation, Galatians 5, 19 to 24. And we're going to look at this contrast for just a minute. On one side of the line, he starts this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you as I warned you before. He's like, this is not even the first time we've had this conversation. I warn you as I've warned you before, those that do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Living on that left side of the line of the equation has natural and supernatural implications. Sexual immorality, anger, drunkenness, many of these are pleasures that exact their own punishments. 
If you're an adult, you all could list five people that you know that have lived on the left side of the line and have paid the price of it in their physical bodies. 20 years ago, there was a guy in our church. He was 25. To look at him, you thought he was 50. About 10 years of heavy alcohol and drug use had ravaged his body. I'd be shocked. I I doubt he's alive today. The cost of sin can be devastating, and that's just the physical aspect. Strife, anger, jealousy, those things exact the toll as well. And Paul tells them, not only does this physically affect you, but ultimately it costs you the kingdom to live on the left side of the line. You don't want to live there. But if you don't want to live in the default world, there's only one other place. And he continues, and this is how he describes it in the next verse. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Set against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions or desires. That first set of values on the left side there, that is the default setting that you were born with. When they opened the box that you came in, took the plastic off, threw away the paperwork, and turned you on, that's, how you, that's all the settings. If you wanted to have any other life, the default settings of your life have to be changed. Paul described an anti-world to the world you were born in. And this anti-world has a different set of settings than sensuality and jealousy and division and dissension. It is one that is intricately tied to walking in conjunction with and developing the fruit of the spirit of character in your life that stands at strong contrast to the default world that we're all born in. When you look at people who don't walk with Jesus, that's the world you're looking at. Fruit are not gifts, okay? Gifts are given. Fruit, the things on the right side of the line, the, the new settings that you are determined that you want in your life, those are cultivated. Fruit are cultivated through the power of the Spirit, but you have a role in it as well to develop those things. And we stand as gardeners of our own heart to help determine what grows in those places. You know, Science is funny because it knows what it knows until it knows something different, right? I read an article the other day that announced that the experts have discovered there are 40% more tigers on the earth than they realized. Wait, they were experts last year, and they were wrong. Okay, there's just some gray areas there in science that we don't admit until we know better. And one of those gray areas that science still scratches its head at is how a plant germinates. Like, I mean, we, we know it does. We put it in the ground and it works. But if you really press somebody on it, can you, why? It just does. It just works. I don't know. At the end of the day, it's a miracle for something that is dead to come back to life. God hardwired the natural world to display his resurrection power. Now, farming is hard work, and it's not an exact science. It's part art, it's part hard labor, it's part mystery. You can do everything right, end up with a pitiful crop. You can end up, do everything wrong and end up with a bounty crop. I've heard it called the world's largest legalized gambling syndicate. <laughs> the end of the day, there's still work you do that you don't fully understand. 
You do your part, God does his part. When we try and cultivate the fruit of the Spirit that are on the right side of that equation, in our heart, though, God says, I'm all in to help you. If that's really, if you're really wanting to change the settings, I am all in to help you accomplish that. And when God says yes to helping you, it is remarkable what can take place in your life. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, how does that apply when we say, Lord, will you teach me how to love? Will you teach me how to manifest your character? He's like, oh yeah, I'm all in on this. If we want to escape that default world for the better world, the better world is achieved through the display of fruit. The gifts of, spirit, of the Spirit will not revitalize your home life. The fruit of the Spirit makes all the difference. So, I want to talk about four stages of the production of fruit in your life. I, I think the chances of us getting to four are slim to none. But So, just we'll get in there, okay? I'm just telling you there's four. We, the first one is actually the planting of these things within us. We all have the image of God planted in us at conception. It is why this value them both amendment matters. Because these children in the womb have the image of God implanted in them. We're not battling to control people's lives. We're battling for the protection of the image of God. We have in our DNA the potential to reflect the character of God to others. It takes discipline, takes work, but the potential is there, and the potential is huge. When you read this passage in Galatians regarding the fruit of the Spirit, who does that sound like the most? When we talk about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, we read that. Who's that talking about? That's Jesus. John 15, 11, these things must be spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. He's the most joyous person in the world. He had so much joy that he could walk among those that had none and say, I have enough for you. 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9, but don't overlook this one fact that the one day with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but he is patient towards you. Who is the most patient person that's ever walked the face of the planet? Jesus. He manifests these things at the ultimate level. These are his character that we're trying to reflect. But at what price? What did it cost for those things to be implanted in us that they could grow out of us, knowing that we also have a fallen nature? John 12, 23 to 25, Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Within every kernel of wheat that is put in the ground is an embryo of sorts, and the kernel itself dies and gives its life for the support of that thing to grow. The original plant dies so that there are multiple more plants with its same DNA. When Jesus died and we accepted that seed into our hearts, his word and his character is implanted in us. Could Jesus have spared us from death by some sort of executive order? Probably. Could he have manifest his character in us without him dying? Probably not. 
because that had to die so that those character traits could be in our DNA so that they could one day flourish. Could he be imputed his nature into us without laying down his life? Not in a way that spared our autonomy. Not in a way that says it's still up to you to choose. He could have forced it, but he said, no, can, you, can we do this together? Can you cultivate these things in your own heart and I'll be there to help? When we receive communion, we read the words of Jesus where he says, remember my death until I come. We remember and we commemorate his death knowing that only through his death do we have any hope of manifesting this fruit of his spirit in our life. And even then, we have great control on how and where that grows. Matthew 13, 23, he tells this parable. He says, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, and another 60, and another 30. We have the potential to determine how much fruit grows in our life by how we receive the word and how we steward it. Not every seed that gets planted in the ground produces fruit. Sometimes it just dies. Some of you are going, I'm very impatient. Yes, but the seeds of patience are in you. I'm actually kind of mean, but the seeds of goodness are in you. I'm, I'm naturally harsh, but the seeds of gentleness were planted at his, his death in you. You may be choking it out, but when you receive the word, the DNA of Jesus is in you. Does it grow or does it not grow? The potential for life and the fruit of the Spirit are implanted in us at his death. Just like the potential for a harvest is in the ground every spring, and what happens around and in the soil after that seed is planted makes all the difference in the world. So it's planted, but the next step in that is the idea of sacrifice. Now, you, you all know I've grown up on the farm. I was, I was actually kind of laughing about this when I was preparing this message. For the first five years of me preaching, every story started with, I started on a farm. I grew up on a farm. That's all I knew, you know. But we at one point had about 1,200 acres of land, some that we rented, and, and we, we farmed with wheat, big tractors, wide open spaces. You know, we would eat ground 180 acres at a time. And now we have a garden that consists of 12 buckets, okay, on a little rack that was screwed together by Bruce. It's the only reason it's still standing, Bruce Jackman. So there's a little, that's, that's our garden, all right? And by my count, we have produced around three peppers and four cucumbers at a cost of about $40 a piece. Ballpark. You know. It won't be like this next year. We'll have the buckets. We'll have the rack. We'll be a little smarter. It'll next, maybe we get them down to $20 next year. I don't know. First fruits, though, are always costly. That first batch of whatever you are growing in your heart, it's going to cost you because you are so used to weeds that you think those are fruit. And you're going to have to pull that junk out of there. You're like, it's not a weed. I'm just really intense. No, that's a weed. That's a weed. That's a weed that you have convinced is discernment or faithfulness. And it's just a weed. 
looks like anger. That first crop that you're going to grow of gentleness and kindness is the sacrifice involved with growing that is going to be so big. I know I'm growing a few first crops of my own, and it's costing me. Being a distant follower of Jesus and not thinking about the fruit a whole lot, really low cost, really easy. Put a bumper sticker in your car, you're good to go. But to be a close follower and for you to grow fruit in your life, cost things. Matthew 4, 18 to 22. You have put yourself in this story and you think you know how you would respond. But I think it's mostly because you don't know, understand the story. Matthew 4, 18 to 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus, he saw two brothers. Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. You put yourself in that story. You're like, I could not get out of the boat fast enough. I would go after this. You know, you're a fisherman. Here he offers the opportunity of eternity. Who wouldn't say yes to this? And they did. The Bible says immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boats with their father and followed them. Now, to understand what's going on here, you have to get past the idea that maybe they were hobby fishermen. Okay? They, hobby fishermen, they like to fish, but they're not going to starve if they don't, all right? They like it, and some of them are very passionate about it. You know, we, we laugh about our friend Lou Engel. Lou loves to fish. If you're at a gathering and Lou disappears, it's because he wandered off to go fishing. He did Jackson's wedding. At my son's wedding, we're getting ready for the reception. We look around, we can't find Lou. He's just done a wedding. He's in a suit. He's found a pond on the backside of the subdivision, and he's found a fishing pole somewhere, and he's fishing. We're in Alaska one time, and he disappeared. I found him knee-deep in a stream. He didn't even have a pole. He's just looking, you know. <laughs> he just wants, he likes it, but let's be fair. If he did not fish again, he'd be okay. He'd be a little grumpy about it, but he'd be fine. These guys were not hobby fishermen. This was their livelihood. These nets that they're cleaning, these things cost a fortune. Many times they've been handed down. They walked away from their legacy. They walked away from their inheritance to pursue this man and hopefully see fruit in their lives. First fruits are costly. You like to think, oh, I'd follow him, man. If he called me from that boat, I would go in a heartbeat. But understand that they just walked away from everything that they knew that was comfortable and was providing for them. Some of you, the, the, the cost of changing your defaults from that one side to the other, even though the costs of staying over here are high, you go over here, you're like, oh, this is not Walmart either. This is expensive. I'm going to have to give up some habits. I'm going to have to admit that I'm actually dealing with some things wrong. I'm going to have to make an effort here. The default world was easy. It was harsh, but it was natural. This world is going to mean you have to measure your words. There's a reason the Bible says a fool speaks all of his mind. And some of you have to flip the foolish switch and go, no, I have to, I'm actually going to have to be reserved with some of my words so that fruit and character can build in my life. Now, we plant, then we make these sacrifices, and then we see this initial fruit. 
You know? It's like when, when our kids come running in, ah, we got a cucumber, we got a cucumber, and you realize it's an inch long. And they're holding it. They've already torn it off. You go, ah, we got a cucumber, uh, kind of. But it's exciting to begin to see a little bit of development and growth. You know, some of you have been tracked in such negative habits that, you know, just getting to back to, to le- equal would be good, you know. But you begin to see that fruit is super exciting. And we're going to talk about all that next week. All right, we're going to dive into that fruit. We're also going to talk about the last stage. And I'm not going to teach through it this morning, but this idea of now that I've planted and I've made sacrifices and I'm beginning to see goodness and beginning to see these things in your life, then there's pruning. What? You mean I begin to produce fruit and now I'm beginning to be trimmed back? Some of us look at pruning like an amputation. It's not the same thing. Okay? He prunes back the parts of the bush or the tree that are costing us in areas where we should be developing fruit. But some of us take such identity in those extremities that it's like losing an arm. Isn't it? We're going to talk about developing fruit and the idea of pruning in our lives. Because the minute we begin to develop fruit, he begins to come alongside us and say, you could produce more if we just, just kind of just take this. Well, that's a bummer to end on. <laughs> yeah, wait till I preach the whole thing. But if he doesn't prune us, he doesn't love us. And I have lived too long with some of the fragments of that default world in my life. I'm ready to fully step over and say, okay, this is going to cost me a lot, but I want to pursue this. I want to pursue these, these fruit of the Spirit in my life so that my kids see it. Because my kids are never going to grow up and say, yeah, Dad could, Dad's a pretty decent teacher. They want to know, was Dad kind? Did Dad reflect the character of Jesus? trying to move from one world to the other here. It's going to be costly. This is what I want to do for just a minute, okay? Throw up that slide again, the two worlds. I want everyone to look at this for a minute. And I want you to think of two of these. Just two. Trust me, two will give you enough to think about. And say, which of those two would be, it would be difficult to find proof of in my life? Like, it's there, but I would have to tell the story myself. Because nobody else knows the story. Is it love? Joy? Peace? Patience? This is an excruciating list on a Sunday morning, isn't it? Two. Give, give, in your mind, two. Okay. And then determine on a daily basis, I'm going to ask the Lord to help cultivate these two. I'll worry about the rest of the garden later. Let me just get the radishes up. Let me, let me, let me see a little fruit here. Write them down. Put them in your phone. If you're really brave, tell somebody. That's a whole nother level. What are the two pieces you want to cultivate? Write it down right now. 
Rachel, if you'd come back, I just want you to, well, let's say we'll fill out your two. No. <laughs> that would have been a better one to have somebody else tell you which two. Stand with me if you would. This is not one of those messages that gives you the warm fuzzies, let's just walk away in the glory. This is kind of where you've gotten down into the gory. But this is going to cost me something. But I just want Rachel just to lead us back into worship for a couple of minutes as we ponder these and how we can cultivate these in our lives. process in our hearts. Father, we pray for a manifestation of love, of joy, and of peace in our families. Pray for a display of patience and kindness and goodness that is undeniable. That our very neighbors and friends would be drawn to hear more about this Jesus that is manifesting in our lives through our character that was implanted there when you laid down your life. Gentleness, self-control. Father, for those that are struggling with the besetting sin, I ask that you would give them a renewed sense of self-control, self-denial, that honors you and displays fruit in their lives. For these things that we have written down, we've jotted down on our phones, we've said, I, I need that, I've got to work on that, that you would bring them to our memory this week and that we at any price would see the first of many, many fruits in our lives. In Jesus' name. 
you need prayer, I'll be down here. Be happy to pray for you. Jackmans are around, other leaders. Don't leave. If you need prayer, somebody recently from your small group said they, they left and came back and said, actually, I need prayer. We'd be happy to pray with you. Have a great Sunday.